weird when I try to regularly come here, but I do travel. Just have a sense this morning, I'd just like to encourage anyone going through a transition that you're not alone, you're not on your own. And sometimes we can easily tend to go in any personal or circumstantial transition, we can go very introspective and get lost in our own world and our own thoughts and head on the downward spiral that nobody cares. But can I just encourage you that God does? And can I encourage you in your circumstance, whatever your transition is, to challenge that transition with God, not doubt God with your transition, because he is bigger. Anything you face, he is bigger. The, the whole point of Jesus' coming proved that he was bigger. The first coming of Jesus is very much an answer to what was God's method of answering how was he going to redeem humanity? How was he going to put a way of salvation for you to know God? And he did that through his death on the cross. And he gives us as his people the opportunity, or he gives us to all humanity the opportunity to be his people adopted into his family and to know him. And so therefore any transition you may be facing, whether it's growing into adulthood, whether it's a life change, a job decision, whatever it may be, a loss, a gain, know God's bigger. Can I pray for you with that and then we'll commence. God, I pray for the many people here this morning who are going through transition who are contemplating transition or who just the age and stage of life is making us face a transition. I pray that collectively we would know you are bigger because you are God and you are faithful and you have an answer for every situation that we find ourselves in. So I pray in the meditations of our heart before you, we would hear your voice we would know what you would say and then we would pray with that answer into our specific transition. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Baptist minister. I've been a Baptist minister for the last forever. Um, but since becoming a police chaplain, I have to wear different things. And I didn't bring it today because... Um, we cleaned our house up yesterday and I don't know where it is. So um, I wear a stole. Every time I do a ceremony, I wear a stole, which is a bit of cloth around my neck. Down, it's got a couple of police badges, a few tassels, a gold chain, and it's all very blue and policey. The first time I ever had to wear that thing, I felt such an affront because, like, that made me feel like such a priest. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, I should bring it sometime for you to put on. It just does this weird thing to you. What's that? But I actually, I've done that many ceremonies in recent months that actually standing here without the stupid thing on makes me feel like I'm underdressed this morning. So anyway, I don't know how that happened. But this morning we're going to speak on things to come. I've got a really short time to just about divide the church in half or 10,000 different views because everyone's got a view on things to come. And like I said in my introduction, the first coming of Jesus was to, to, to answer the question, how's God going to redeem humanity? He did that in Jesus. He did that in Jesus' death on the cross, his resurrection, and his ascension. He conquered death. And he made the way for you and I to have relationship with him. The, the, the second coming of Jesus, if we look at the things to come, if we look at the coming of Jesus the second time, that is to give the consummation of his hope 
that he is king and he's coming to take you and I to be with him. The first coming of Jesus very much emphasized to each of us that Jesus was the servant king. If, if, you, if, you, if you take notes, I'm just going to throw a heap of Bible passages at you and, and feel free to review them. But the, if, you, if you know Isaiah 53, then you understand Jesus, the prophetic word of Jesus coming was as a servant to serve, to seek and save the lost. But the second coming of Jesus is very much about him being king over everything and for eternity. Both are true, but both are the expression of his lordship. Both one is an invitation for, you, for us to accept to be adopted into his family. The second is his invitation to take you, us, who are his people, the Christians, to his house, to heaven. And that is very exciting. I'd like to base what I'm going to say this morning on Second Titus chapter of chapter eleven. There's only not that many in there. Chapter two, verse eleven, and it says this: verse eleven to fifteen. For by for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Looking forward for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave for us that we might redeem from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort, rebuke with all authority, and let no one despise you. That's basically another way of saying a children's story that the girls gave to us before. We are, as God's people, to have an anticipation that he will return. Titus says, or Paul says to Titus, look forward to it. Look forward to it. I don't know about it in business or in, in, in your personal life, but um, if you do nothing, what do you get? Nothing. Men have this box in their brain. It's called the nothing box. Drives most of you ladies nuts. My wife will say to me, Jeff, what are you doing? I am completely at ease to say nothing. She goes, would you get out of that box and get into the other one and do something? Because if you aim at nothing, you hit... You guys are very talkative. If you aim at nothing, you hit nothing. It's, it's a universal principle of humanity. It doesn't matter which continent, which state you go in. Do nothing, get nothing, aim at nothing, hit nothing. In everything except on the principle of eternity. I meet people every day who when it comes to the things to come, go, oh, look, I know there's something out there, but I'm not really too worried. I'm just doing nothing about it. You can't aim at nothing in the question of eternity, and hit nothing. Because what you will hit is separation from God. What you will hit is an eternity in hell. 
the great aim of spirituality, the great aim of our life. We cannot sit still. I cannot be very male and sit with my nothing box on and be a Christian in my spirituality because if I aim at nothing, I end up walking away from God. The very call of being a Christian is to look forward to my Jesus, to look forward to him in the everyday, to look forward to him in the things to come tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, next decade, when I retire, hallelujah, and everything else that comes after that, and to look forward to the day when he returns. We're to look forward to it. And we are to be the ambassadors of the Lord on these things. We are to be the representatives of Jesus towards these things, that he is coming back. I hope you know that. I hope you believe that. I hope it convicts you enough that you stand up for what you believe in the context and the workplaces, in the homes that you believe in, and are... are, are, are able to answer the questions of faith or speak up for the questions of faith when the door opens for you to walk through them. We have to be able to do that. I recently sat in an interview with Scripture Union, a bunch of a bunch of chaplains, and, and they were asking me a heap of questions about what's it like to be a police chaplain and all that sort of stuff. And one of the questions I got interviewed, I got asked was, how does your faith affect your role as a police chaplain? And I'm sitting there thinking, that is a dumb question. I, I, I thought that on the inside. I didn't say that to, that to the audience. I'll say it to you. That was a dumb question. I said, my good, uh, but my answer sort of reiterated that that's how I felt. Because I said to him, how can it not? I have been called by Jesus, had been adopted into his family. I've been given a commission to go into the world. And in my particular context, my world is my family and, my, and the Queensland Police Service in the region which I represent him here. Every day, I walk in as an ambassador to the Lord. I don't go in looking for something. I go in hoping to, I go in with something to offer to the community that I represent or that I minister to. And I said to these skilled chaplains, you go into your particular context every day. God has set you aside as an ambassador to be a representative for him because one day he's coming back and you and I have a responsibility to see as many people go to heaven as we possibly can under the direction of the Holy Spirit. And I'm torn in between this tension between the things to come of looking forward to the Lord's return and almost pleading with him saying, Lord, not yet. Not yet, Lord. I want you to come, but just can you just hold off for a bit longer? And, and the reason for that is because there are, in my particular context, and I can only speak within the context of the Queensland Police Service, there are too many good men, women and families of the children who currently don't know him to see them in hell. And Lord, I just need another day. I just need another opportunity. And I hope for you, you guys in whatever your context is, yes, I get to wear a Padre title and have a fancy stole on and all sorts of weird stuff goes on. But I don't need any of that. 
You can put my stole through the shredder if you want. It doesn't make me any different. I have a deep conviction. It doesn't matter if I'm a chaplain in the police, a minister in the church, or if I go back to my days when I was living on the farm. My call is to be an ambassador to Jesus, to look forward to the things to come. And ladies and gentlemen, can I implore you as God's children, for those of you who put your hand up and say, I profess to be a Christian, you have to look forward to it and you've got to take as many people with you into the kingdom as you can because they're too good to be in hell. And I don't know about you, I'm I'm a big picture person. Uh, my, my area that I cover is 38% of Queensland. I, I'm not happy with 38% of Queensland. Lord, I want all of Australia. And we have to have a conviction that there's a day coming. Why is the Lord coming back again? Because there is a day coming when we all have to stand before him and give an account for what we've done. Every one of us, myself included. That's why Titus says, put away all this worldly stuff, focus your thoughts on the Lord, and go for it. Because there's a day when, I'm a Bathurst fan, right? Hurts me to be in church. It's the only day of the year it hurts to be in church. Started 40 minutes ago. <laughs> oh, so distracted. Um, there's a day coming like sometime around 4.35 o'clock this afternoon when the flag will fall. The race is done. They can't get any better position than what they get when that flag falls. It's the same with you and I in our spirituality. When the flag falls, when the Lord returns, that's it. It's either you're for God or you're against him. And we're going to all stand before him and give an account of what we've done. Christianity is not fire insurance. It's an invitation to a relationship with the Lord. And you and I are ambassadors and reflectors of that very relationship. So what are you looking forward to? Are you ready to die? What happens when you die? What are you going to do about it? How do you represent him well? I just throw a heap of questions at you because they're questions I'm trying to ponder. And in the everyday of life, God give me an opportunity. Just another opportunity. See, it's my responsibility to present the message of the gospel. It's God's responsibility with what happens. So, Lord, I'm more than happy to walk with you. If you want to give me opportunities to do it, I'm just going to leave the results to you and I'm going to have a blast of fun doing it. And you might go, Jeff, but you're paid to be a chaplain. Like You're paid to tell people about God. Like You did all the Bible college stuff. I have to tell you, the conviction came. The conviction comes not because I've got enough pieces of paper on the wall to wallpaper the wall about it. The conviction comes in here. The conviction came, it really hit me about in 2000 and... Oh, good night, no, it was last century. 1990... Six, seven, eight, nine. No, 1996, 97, 98, somewhere in there. The Lord said to me, Jeff, would you be prepared to tell somebody about me? 
Ever. Amen. And, and the thought just wouldn't leave my brain. Would you be? And I worked on a farm in the middle of absolute hillbilly nowhere. And so I decided I could say yes to the Lord because no one ever comes and visits me. Yes, Lord, I'm more than willing because I know I'm not leaving the farm for the next month and no one ever comes and visits me. Yes, I won against God. Wonder Jeff. The next day, I don't know where that farm rep come from. They weren't even supposed to be there. Jeff, why are you a Christian? Like, where's that coming about? We're supposed to be talking about cotton farming and cotton crops, not... Jeff, this is your opportunity. I remember stuttering like there is... Do you remember, guys, do you remember the day you first met your girl? The love of your life? How you're all thumbs and fingers and legs and you just couldn't put two words in a sentence because your brain wouldn't work because you're all so like... Ooey and gooey. Ladies, it does happen to blokes. They just do it on the inside, not the outside. But God said to me, Jeff, this is your opportunity. I went to thumbs and fingers to that level. And I remember stammering and stuttering, God. Oh, that's really cool, Jeff. Good on you. Wish I did. End of the conversation. And it started from there to now in any audience. I have no problem. Ladies and gentlemen, if it just takes you going, I've got to just, I can't even put God in a sentence, just practice on somebody. And let it build. Let it work out of you. Because there's a day coming when the Lord will return. Do you know how I know that? Biblically, I just want to throw some things around at you. Just going to like throw rocks at the moon kind of thing. Biblically, there's three feasts in the Bible, great feasts that have, that, that, that have to be messianically fulfilled. One is the Passover. Was it fulfilled? Yes, it was. One was the feast of um, harvest, which is Pentecost. Was it fulfilled messianically with the coming of the Holy Spirit? Yes, it was. The other one is the feast of, um, I think it's the feast of weeks. It hasn't been messianically fulfilled yet. Do you know in the verse, it's also known as the feast of trumpets. Do you know in the, in the Bible it says when the Lord will return, he will come with the sounding of the trumpet. I want to suggest that lines up. Now, we don't know, like the girl said, when the day or the hour of the Lord's return is, but I reckon it's in September of any given year, depending on the cycle of the moon, because that's when the Feast of Trumpets is. I just throw that out at you because it's a feast that hasn't been messianically fulfilled, and the Lord said it will be fulfilled. The other thing is, do you know when Jesus rose out of the grave and the disciples ran and Mary Magdalene ran to it. It says they ran into the tomb and Jesus' bed, um, the, the clothes he was wrapped up in were folded. The Jewish guy told me recently, Jeff, do you understand the significance of that in the Jewish culture? I said to him, I'd love to be able to say yes to you, but I have no idea what you're talking about. He said to me, when a Jew goes to a feast and they want to get up and leave the table, and they're done, they get their napkin, they get their, their cloth, scrunch it up, chuck it on the table, walk away. Everybody knows they're done. If they're going to come back, they'll always fold it, leave it beside their plate, go. No one will touch their plate. Because why? Because that symbolises I'm coming back. I want to suggest the great act of everything that Jesus did for us symbolises he's coming back. 
If you don't know that, read the end of Revelation, Revelation 22, three times. He says, I'm coming quickly. I'm coming quickly. Ladies and gentlemen, I am coming quickly. He's coming back. We have to be ready. We have to be ready. Biblically, there's a lot of views that people have tried to understand about the return of the Lord, about helping them be ready. I don't want to, I want to skim some stones across some very deep ponds, as it were, just to try and touch on some of those topics for you. But some key passages on the coming of the Lord again are Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 9, Revelation chapter 20, and Matthew chapter 24. And they all talk about different times. You, you might have heard of seven years tribulation, you might have heard of the thousand year millennial reign of Christ and all that sort of stuff. People have tried, people have written, people have cleared forests writing book about what, books about what their view is of all that. And I simply want to summarise this. There's a bunch of different views and it depends on how you view the ordering of all those events. Where do you put the return of the Lord? Where do you put the seven years of tribulation? What do you do with, with this millennial reign of Christ? What do you do with the great white judgment of the Lord when we all stand before him? What, where, do, where do you sit with all that? How do you work it all out? There's three main views, and then I have a friend who told me of a fourth one, which I really struggle with a bit. But there's pre so you can either be a pre-tribulation person. Now let me start that all again. The seven years of tribulation is written about in Daniel chapter chapter nine that there's going to come a time when the world will get really bad and it'll be um, an abomination of desolation, of oppression that will come against everyone who believes in the Lord. And people go, okay, that's, a, that's called the tribulation. Then there's this thing called the return of the Lord. Then there's this thing called the millennial reign of Christ, and it's how you order it all. There's three different views on it. There's the pre-millennials, pre-tribulation, post-tribulation, mid-tribulation, just to be different. And it works out like this. There's a point where we all live our everyday life, the Lord returns. Returns in the air and everyone who believes in him and everyone in the past who's believed in him will rise up out of the grave and go to meet the Lord in the air. It's called the coming of the Lord for the saints. Some people believe then there's seven years of tribulation at which the Lord will come with his saints and that's the whole battle of Armageddon and all that sort of stuff in the Bible. That institutes the thousand-year reign of Christ, and then at the end of it, we all get to stand before God in the great white hall of judgment and give an account for our life. Is that basically what you guys have heard? Or are you guys looking at me going, I've never heard any of this in my life before? Somewhere in the middle, all of you sit with either of those two bookends. The challenge is, People have tried to go, is it literal? Is it metaphorical? Is it symbolic? What is it? I want to suggest to you it's really important in the things to come to know what you believe or to have a concept in your, in your framework about how you see things unfolding before the Lord because it has a big impact in how you communicate to people. 
So the, the three views is, is this pre-tribulation idea. The Lord returns for his people. Seven years of tribulation happens. The Lord returns with his people, establishes a thousand-year reign of Christ. At the end of the thousand years, judgment happens. Christian, non-Christian, devil, heaven, hell, done. That's one view. There's another view that's mid-tribulation. Lord returns. No. Tribulation happens. Midway through tribulation, the Lord returns. The next three and a half years, it gets really ugly. Then the Lord returns with his saints, establishes the thousand-year reign. Then we do the heaven-hell judgment. Another one is post-tribulation. We just go through it all. At the end of seven years, God returns, thousand-year reign, boom, done, heaven, hell, devil. There's another view, it's called amillennialism. I was in a conference um, a couple of years ago, and have you ever been in a conference where you're listening to the speaker and you're going, you may be even thinking this this morning, that is the biggest load of twaddle I've ever heard. A couple of years ago, this guy went beyond that. He got the audience so antsy. I think if it wasn't Australian, if it had been somewhere in the Middle East, they would have been throwing eggs and apples and oranges at him. He was like, he had everybody angry. It takes a lot to get me cranky, but this guy was even pushing my buttons. And I'm going, I have no vested interest in what you're saying, mate, yet you're completely making me angry at you about this. So I put my thinking hat on. I'm going, how, can you, how, how come you're so good at doing this? You're supposed to be... How can you make a thousand people cranky? And I put my hat on it and my wife, Anita was with my wife and I leaned across to her. I said, oh, because she's getting really antsy and, and she has a certain number of signs that tell me that she's getting antsy. I've learnt them well over the years. And I leaned across to her and she goes, <clears throat> that's a good sign. I said, um, don't worry, darling. He's a millennial. It's all okay. She goes, what are you on? Can't, a, a millennial what? No, 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 it's what he believes. So the doctrine of amillennialism is if we just keep preaching the gospel but for long enough, the world will become a better place, the world will become all Christian, massive revival. I'm, I'm all for massive revivals, no problem with any of that. But the world will just become a better place and then we'll just morph into thousand-year reign of Christ, heaven, hell, eternal judgment. So all these different views. And I want to suggest to you, however you choose to work it out, you have to have an understanding. You have to have a perspective. Just Google images, great tribulation or pre-tribulation or mid-tribulation or post-tribulation. There is thousands of images. There is thousands of web pages on it. And it all comes down to how you interpret the scriptures. You have to have a view on the things to come because it helps you frame your theology from the Bible in how you communicate to people. Can I give you an example of this week? This week I sit with a officer. She says to me, yeah, g'day, Padre, how are you? Good, good. Yeah, I'm not very religious, which is code for shut up and leave. That's what I've learned. And I said to this officer, I said, well, neither am I really. I'm not very religious either. Just saying. She goes, well, she swore at me and said, can't say that in church. Um, she goes, but you're paid to be. Oh, didn't read that in the job description, sorry. Um, yeah, no, I'm just not. 
She goes, how can you not be religious? I said, who'd want to be religious? She looked at me and she goes, I don't know. I said, exactly. I said, the whole thing of Christian faith is about relationship with the Lord. It's not about an act of man, like religion's the construct of man to worship God. It's not about that. Yeah, there's a framework, but it's all about how you express your relationship with God. And what does that mean as you live through your life and, and enter the next? She goes, yeah, I believe in... um." I practice Buddhism. I'm going, you just told me you're not very religious. I didn't say that. I thought that on the inside. I go, so how does that work out for you? She says, I'm hoping to come back for something. Actually, I'll probably come back a lot worse than what I am. I said, really? Why would you want to do that? She goes, well, what do you believe? I said, well, I don't believe that. I said, I, I believe there's a far better place than here. I, I don't know about you, but I've been through enough here. I want to go. I'm progressing. I think there's a heaven. Oh, really? How do you get there? Well, glad you asked. Shared a brief overview of the things of the Lord. So I said, so because the God, the whole reason of Jesus coming was to invite us into a relationship with him. So when he comes again, I get to go to his house and live with him. That's called heaven. And because the choice is if you don't, then, then that's, that's called hell. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. So she said, do you believe in angels and demons and ghosts? Um, yeah, I do. Really? Yeah, so do I. Oh, you just told me you're not religious. She goes, can we talk some more about this? I said, yeah, I think we should, eh? So we've got an appointment in the future to talk more about that. And I have to have a perspective we're out of my framework because the world is longing to know what's going to happen. I could tell you of another individual I met. Who, who I said, what's your greatest fear? My greatest fear is one day I'm going to die. Really, why is that? I'm just so scared, Jeff. Oh, what's going to happen? Talk to her about it. See, we have this thing, what do we believe about things to come? We can't just put it as a cute little title in a book and go, yeah, we probably should know about that. You have to be able to have answers because these are the questions, these are the, the things people want to know about. And I only give you two stories from this week. I could give you countless others where again and again and again. And we have to be confident enough in what we believe to have an understanding when we stand before someone, sit before someone, whether it's in an audience or in a coffee shop or at a personal conversation one-on-one -on -one, like the two stories I just recounted to you, where we can just say, hey, this is what I believe. A lot of people say, yeah, but I might get it wrong. My, my answer now is like, so what? Don't you think God's bigger to guide your conversation? What if you go, I don't know. But I, can, I tell you what, can I find out for you? I'll get back to you. There is a lot of kudos in saying to someone, you know, I just don't know the answer to that question. But I'll find out. Can I come back and tell you about it? Yeah, that'd be sweet. You might only have 30 seconds to tell them, but find out an answer and go back.
Learn to know about the things to come. It's really important. It helps scope your frame of reference. It helps scope your theological belief, but it also helps you become a lot better at being able to communicate to a world out there that is lost and going to hell unless we intervene as God's ambassadors through the anointing of the Holy Spirit to proclaim the message of the gospel that we've been given, that he said to us, he, he said to us, Jeff, go into the world. Go. I mean, countless people sit there with their hands in the box and go, I'm not doing that. You've got God on your side. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Lord, that's really nice to know because now I've got no idea what I'm doing. That's all right, Jeff. We're here together. Let's have a great time. We've got to look forward. We've got to look forward to our Jesus. Because in all the different views, theologically, In all your views that you have on the end times, whether you're, I'm just going to quote a heap of words at you, whether you're a pre-tribulation pre-millennialist, whether you're a post-tribulation person, whether you're a mid-tribulation person, whether you're an amillennial person, it doesn't matter. There is one thing that unites everybody in this room who's a Christian. And it's simply this, Jesus is coming back. He is. He's coming back. If we believe that this book is true, then don't falter on the last page. He's coming back. He thought it was that important he'd tell us three times. You, you understand how significant that is, right, don't you? Like, you know, most, most things, I have, I have two girls and a boy, right? And so I put myself very much in the boy manhood section when I, as I illustrate this illustration because I'm more guilty than the rest of everybody here. I have two girls, right? Um, Sarah and Laura. I can say to them, girls, could you just do this for me sometime in the next whenevers? Done. It'll happen in the next sometime whenevers. I say to Jack, my son, Jack, can you do this for me? Mm-hmm. That's code for that ain't ever going to happen. So, so what, what, ladies, what do you have to do to most mere males? You have to tell them again. It's actually scriptural. Do you know when God spoke to most males, he said their names twice to get their attention? David, David, Moses, Moses, Abraham, Abraham. I, great, I drew great solace in t- reminding Anita of that once. Um, didn't end well, but... Um, so Lord just didn't say it twice. He said it three times. Why? Because it's triune, holy, all-encompassing. Do you know in Revelation when it talks about before the throne of God, it says the angels are singing, what are they singing? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. When God elevates something to a, thri- a three times repetition, he's saying this is so important to me. You have to hear it. 
And he says to you, like he says to you, like he says to me, hey, I'm coming back. I am coming back. And we can have great confidence right to the very final amen in the book that the Lord is coming back. So what happens to you when you die? What happens to you now? What happens if you, like, passed away, died before the Lord returned? I just want to quickly touch on two, two things really quick. Jesus said for the Christian, do you remember when the three thieves are on the cross and one says to Jesus, hey, will you remember me? Do you remember the response of Jesus? Today you'll be with me in paradise. That's where Christians go, paradise. I describe it to people like this, and, and biblically the, the best picture I can get to you <clears throat> is, because it, it, to put it in a, in a temporal, earthly kind of context, it's like all the Christians get to go to the gardens of Buckingham Palace. We get to congregate there in the presence of the Lord. We just because he hasn't returned yet don't get to go into the palace. What, what happens to non-Christians? Do you remember um, in Luke chapter 16, there's the poor man, there's the beggar and Lazarus, and, and the beggar gets to go to, um, to heaven, to paradise, and the rich man, Lazarus, gets to go, he goes to a place called Hades. I don't know how to describe it to you. To me, it would be like sitting on the rim of the volcano in Bali that's just rumbling away, spewing out sulfur and gas at everything. I had a, a, a police officer say to me recently, Jeff, I wish you had been in my home last night. I said, oh, really? Why is that? She said, because my kids started talking about what happened when you die. And like, freaked her out. I said, so what did you say? Because I'm really interested. She said, well, they wanted to know about heaven and hell. Where would they get that stuff from, Jeff? Oh, you're your kids. I don't know. Tell me, what, what, what did they say? I'm really she said, I told them that heaven's a place where God is and hell's a place where he's not. Was that the right answer? I'm sitting there going, I've never heard a better answer than that. What's hell like? If you took everything good, everything kind, everything about the nature of God out, if you created that entire vacuum, outside of everything that's retorted in Scripture about it being a, a I was going to say a hellhole, um, a hellhole of sulfur, of perpetual falling, of perpetual beating, of perpetual torment, of perpetual change, of perpetual fire, if you took all that aside and you just removed all of God, that's hell. And Jesus said, I don't want anyone to go there. I've done everything I can for every person on the planet to be in my place. All you have to do is accept my invitation. I come here often enough to know some of you and infrequently enough to not know most of you. But what have you done with the invitation to the Lord? What have you done?
because I plead with you. It has eternal consequence. You just can't sit there and go, I'm just doing nothing about it because nothing isn't nothing. Because we're all going to have to stand before God one day and give an account for what we've given, both with what we've done with accepting him and both what we've done with what we've been given. And we're held to account and rewarded on both. I just simply want to touch on this in relation to the things to come. We have to be right with God. Can I plead with you? Can I just directly just speak to you and say, you're too good to be in hell? Can I invite you to accept the invitation of the Lord to be right with him? You'll say, how do I do that? Can I just briefly just touch on stuff? Then we're going to go quickly into communion because I just realized the time and um, the clock I've been looking at has been stopped for the last however long. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's this separation divide for all of humanity between us and God. This thing called sin. Biblically, Jesus says, But I demonstrated my love for you, that while you were still sinners, Christ died for you on a cross. And so it's that point in history, that first coming of the Lord, that, that consummates so much invitation to you to be in relationship with the Lord. Because Jesus goes on in, in Romans chapter 6, verse, I think it's 23, because the wages of sin is death, hell, but the gift of God is eternal life, heaven, intimacy with the Lord. So the challenge then isn't for you to wait till you're good enough to come before God because it's not about being good enough. So my invitation to you this morning is come as you are, not as you think you should be because God's done everything for you already. You just have to accept his invitation to be with him in every day of life because, because it goes on in there's a, a Book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 17, because everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Great invitation. And it all comes back because what Jesus did for you and I on the cross, in, in shedding his blood and having his body broken on a cross for you and for I. And as Christians, we gather around this... Um, can I call it a sacred act of remembering what Jesus done for us? And he says, hey, just got, just, I've got a couple of requests. One of them is, can you just do this until I come again? And this morning we're going to partake of communion, both because it's an invitation, but because it's an opportunity for us to look forward and to respond to what Jesus has done for us. And so we're going to share in communion. I invite you to take a piece of bread, take a cup, and then in your own way, eat and drink in your response to the Lord. 
You may be sitting here going, I'm not a Christian, but I'd love to do this. Then can I simply invite you? It's called confession. You don't need to do it before a priest. You just need to do it before the Lord. Confess your sin to him. Ask him into your heart. And eat and drink. And let this sacred act be a symbolic cleansing of everything that separated from you in the, from God in the past and will reunite you with him. You may be a Christian here and you may be in a transition or you may have so much stuff going on, God, I'm just I need to get back to this. I need to look forward. I need to know. I need to I've been reassured about looking forward. Celebrate communion with the Lord. You, you know what to do. Pour your heart out to him. Pour your heart out to him. I'm going to pray, then we're going to, um, um, I think we might hand it out today. And we'll close with our last song while we do it. And then um, we'll partake communion while we have our last song. The band's going to sing it. If you want to stand and sing it, great. If you just want to sit and just do this before God, please do this before God. Because spirituality is about relationship. It's not about a religious act. So engage with him. Is, is, that, is that cool? Okay. So God, I thank you for everybody here this morning. In the divine providence of your timing, you've somehow united us all together. And since the beginning of time to now, you've had a plan of salvation. You've had a plan of, of inviting us and, and allowing us to accept an invitation to be adopted into your family through our confession and repentance and just accepting you as God. And God, I thank you it's just a, not a one-off act of like some sort of fire insurance, but it's like what Titus, uh, Paul wrote to Titus in that passage we read earlier, that we're to look forward to the blessed hope. We're to live everyday life looking forward in hope of being with you. Because you're with us. And one day, you're going to say enough's enough and everyone who's accepted your invitation will end up in your house in heaven. We look forward to it and I pray for our nation that there would be many, many people, if not all of them, Lord, who we'll see in heaven. I pray this individually. I pray this corporately for our church. I pray this nationally across our nation in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. So guys, feel free to lead us and um, we're going to serve communion. If you want to sing, sing. If you just want to sit and meditate, then sit and meditate. And at the end of the service, I'll come back. John, do you want to pray or would you like me to pray? I'll come back and pray. How's that?